right. Here comes Scissors and Scrubs straight from quarantine right <laughs> to your front door. Um, even though we're in quarantine, Laura and I have been together um, through the whole quarantine. So we're together now. And you get the bonus of that. I know. We're, we're six feet apart. <laughs> yeah. No, whatever. Not six feet under, six feet apart. Yeah. Laura, did you know April is National Donate Life Month? Is it? It is. Wow. So you asked for it, and now you get it. One Good of our timing. listeners wanted to hear about organ donation. I thought it was October. Apparently, it's April. April. So we're going to start with a little timeline okay. on organ donation. It's a little bit of a dry material that mm-hmm. we have for you, but it is interesting, and hopefully it'll dispel a few myths that As people say, have. And I think it might be more dry for us because... We, we kind of know it, and we do it, and it's like, yeah, 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 organ, yeah. you know. Oh, so yeah, goes another one, yeah. People who don't know it, it's right. probably something like, what? So, And if it just helps you have a better view of it, because I do think they get a bad rap. Yeah. They've even changed their name, I think, to get over the bad rap. Yeah. They went from the New England Organ Bank to New England Donor Services. Mm-hmm. So, let's start way back in the day. Okay. 1883. Oh, wow, that is way back. 1883, we're going to go back to Swiss surgeon Theodore Coker. Oh. I used to work with this kid, and every time somebody would ask for a Coker, he'd be like, Coker Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> Just made me laugh every time. Daryl thinking of you. Coker Pepsi. I never heard that. Yeah, he used to make me laugh every time. So Theodore Coker noticed that when he fully removed a goita, mm-hmm. also known as your thyroid, mm-hmm. from a patient, that the patient would develop complications of hypothyroidism. Isn't well, that amazing mm-hmm. to figure that out? In July of 1883, he started transplanting thyroid tissue into a patient who had undergone a thyroidectomy. Really? He attempted to cure a complex internal disease by replacing an organ, technically making this the first attempt at organ donation. Excuse me. Who would have thought it was a thyroid that we attempted to transplant first, of all things? Um, This kicked off decades of research into organ transplantation. So in 1905, we have Alexis... I don't know what his last name is, <laughs> does his first heart transplant in dogs in New York City. Oh. In 1906, Matteo Jubilee used kidneys from pigs and goats to attempt to use them on humans. Oh. Mm. Mm. I don't want to go kidney. Mm-mm. I don't care how bad I'm on dialysis. No. You can keep your go kidney. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> uh, in 1933, you have the first human-to-human kidney transplant performed. But unknown to the doctors at the time, there were mistakes and mismatches in the donor and recipient blood groups. And this caused the donor kidney function to never happen. Mm-hmm. In the early 1950s, cortisone medications are being used to suppress immune systems. Mm-hmm. 1954, Joseph E. Murray and colleagues at the Peter Bent Brigham, also known as Brigham and Women's, performed the first truly successful kidney transplant from twins. And this is successful because the twins' immune systems didn't recognize the other kidney. Uh, 1966, you have the first kidney pancreas transplant, 67, first liver transplant, 68, first pancreas, 68, heart transplant, first heart transplant, 1977, now you have a computer-based organ matching system. The United Network for Organ Sharing is created. Mm -hmm. Or UNOS, as we like to say. Oh, it's not UNOS. UNOS comes later. Oh. I got that way. Now, yeah. now over here. That's 1984. Oh. That was a good year. It's the year that Back to the Future came out. Purple Rain. I was five. Brian's all-time I favorite. Shut I was five. Your mouth. I MTV don't remember. Came out. Uh-huh. Actually, was MTV out? It might have been. Um, 1981, first successful heart-lung transplant. 1983, first successful single-lung transplant. Mm-hmm. 1984, United Network for Organ Sharing, known as 
UNOS, is incorporated as a nonprofit member organization. They may have been around earlier as part of another organization, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize, not realize, I didn't feel like writing all that information down. Yeah. It was a lot. It's it dry. It's like cotton. There's a network for organ yeah. sharing. So UNOS. UNOS is what I knew, so I'm like, I'll go with UNOS. Yeah. And if there's transplant surgeons listening right now, they're probably cringing at my timeline. So shut up, all of you. Don't answer my calls from them <laughs> anymore, you please. Don't judge me on my information. 1986, first successful double lung. UNOS receives initial federal contract to operate Organ and Transplantation Network, OPTN, in Scientific hmm. Registry of Transplant Recipients. So everybody's being oh. logged in. Yeah. 1987, your first successful intestinal transplant, which I have never seen one. Have I've you? never either. No. I know when I was doing the stuff about the transplant, I was like, I've one. never seen that. Well, no, when it. I get into it, I'll explain. I have seen, I'll get into it. We I've seen a, a little. We had a little kid come in who his entire intestinal system shut down mm-hmm. after he took a ball to the stomach. Yes. It like So I think he was a candidate, but I never saw it. 1988, first split liver transplant. 1989, first living donor liver. 1990, first successful living donor lung. That's where I'm stopping. All right. Because I have a feeling I'm going to start stepping on some toes if I go any further into the decades. So take it over, Sparkles. All right. So I'm going to talk about the organs that can be transplanted and why you might need Mm -hmm. one of those transplants. I'm not going to go into like specifics because it gets real sciencey and, and long. Yeah. So sciencey, we don't want to get <laughs> real sciencey. It's boring, boring. Um, so I got this information from organdonor.gov. Um, organs that can be donated by a deceased donor. So you have somebody who's brain dead, or they're going to die, and they decide mm-hmm. they're going to donate their organs. You can take from them for organs: kidneys, liver, lungs, heart, pancreas, intestines, face, and hands. <gasps> Um, organs that can be donated by a living donor, like, you know, if I wanted to give, if one of my kids needed a kidney or if you or wanted something. to give to me because I was dying. Obviously. Yep. You can say. Um, so from a living donor, you can take one kidney, one lung, um, a portion of the liver, the pancreas, and intestines. Well, obviously most portions people don't of. realize is the liver regenerator. regenerator. Mm-hmm. So you can take half of it and then and it's... grow its ass yep. back. Uh, pretty quickly, too. Um, deceased... Deceased donors can also donate heart valves, skin, bone, tendons, stem cells, either via blood stem cells, cord blood, or bone marrow, and corneas. My grandmother did that. Her corneas? Her corneas. So, first time I'd ever heard of it. So this is... So I talked about corneal transplants first. <laughs> I didn't go really go into the disturbing. skin and bone and tendons. <laughs> we take skin, bone, tendons. Yeah. Um, they can take that like a day after the person is dead. Um and they literally just take your tissue out. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a, and then they use it like if you, you know, if you blew your ACL, they can use a donor ligament. They mm-hmm. can use a donor, you know, um, skin. If you have a burn, we use donated skin right. to graft If you have cancer, people. we use the donated bones. Yep. If your valve, you know, if you get endocarditis and you need a valve, you can have a right. valve place. So it's, you know, it's just all, that's all pretty benign. Benign. So... The corneal transplants, I don't know why. When It makes me eyes cringe. It makes me cringe. Eyes, like my eyes. eyes like, There's a reason I don't work in, in eyes. No, I can't. <laughs> I did them during my, like, um, what do you call Clinicals. it? Clinicals. Clinicals. Yeah. 
Oh God, I hated it when they put that retractor in. And the worst up. was watching them put the needle, the needle in to numb it up. The I used to retractor and the needle killed the worst because the retractor they can't blink and that eye is oh. just staring, staring. It's it. always on a microscope and it's wide and no. bleh. so the corneal transplant hit me. So I was like, I'm going to do a little bit about the corneal. <laughs> so going with the thing I hate the most first. How do I do it? Get the worst. I need to learn first. a little bit more about it because it really skews me. Um, <laughs> it's excellent though. Um, corneal transplant was first performed in 1905. Wow. Yeah. Um, there were 85,411 corneal transplants, um, up to 2018. Wow. Yeah. Um, the cornea is the clear part of the eye that is over the iris and pupil, in case you didn't know, like that clear the little- part you always get scratched with your fingernails right, at that, that point. Like the little clear bulge. Um, you can damage you your cornea. <laughs> You can damage your cornea from eye disease, injury, or birth defects. Um, in a corneal transplant, the damaged or diseased cornea is removed and replaced with a donated one. Unlike organs, cornea transplants um, do not need to be a match. Right. You don't have to Anybody have the same blood it. type. You don't have to have the same, same eye color. doesn't matter. Um, and the donors are universal. It doesn't matter if you have a good eyesight. That has nothing to do with it. They just need that covering over their eye. Um so most people can donate their corneas. Um, corneas can be recovered several hours after someone has died. A corneal transplant can be before, be performed three to five days after donation. Wow. So they last a long yeah. time. They come with a, like a little cookie cutter. Oh, yes, yes. Um, the sclera or white part of the eye um, can also be donated. Yeah, nope, nope, you lost me with that. Um, I don't want to know can, anything about digging in the eye. Yeah. And it um, can be used to help rebuild an eye from an injury or um, something. <gasps> so since 1961, more than 1,800,000 people have had their eyesight restored because of corneal transplants. And more than 95% of corneal transplants are successful. That's huge. So it's huge. Like these people, people who can't see or they have that injury and yeah. to be able to sudden not have a problem anymore. That's with everything with donation though. Like I don't think people realize the lives you change with right. one little, not a little gift. It's a big it's a gift. big gift. It's a mighty big gift. Right. So I shouldn't. I'm not going to demean it by saying it's a little gift. No. But. but there's a ton of and this is like the success rate of these transplants is so huge and it's such a life changing. Right. Which they're all life changing, but the success rate alone on that is huge, unbelievable. So then I went to kidneys. Kidneys, I feel like, are the most common Nine too. Yeah, and it's a pretty straightforward, pretty straightforward case. Um, I got the information for kidney transplants from hopkinsmed.org and kidneyfund.org. Um, when a patient has end-stage renal disease, they either need dialysis or a kidney transplant mm-hmm. to live. You have to. It's one or the other or both. Do you have what causes end-stage yes. renal disease? Okay. Um, 30 million U.S. citizens or 15% of us have chronic kidney disease, which can, can, which then can progress to end-stage renal disease. Um, risk factors for chronic Kidney disease are diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, drug abuse, um, blockages in the urinary tract, family history, and some genetic disorders. Diabetes is a huge, huge one. That's one. I'm gonna most of the ones huge we see one. are diabetic. Um, your kidneys filter waste, toxins, and extra water from your body, which balances salts and minerals in the blood, releases hormones that help control your blood pressure. It manages anemia and helps maintain strong bones. The waste and extra water that's removed then becomes your urine. Um, when your kidneys aren't functioning, they can't filter your blood adequately. 
Um, which suck to see any of them, right? Right. And it can cause a buildup of waste in your blood. Um, kidney disease isn't usually picked up until it's advanced. So your first state, you're not usually realizing it's noticing it till you're already at a stage where your kidneys are damaged. Um, symptoms of chronic kidney disease are changes in urine, urine, they it can have foam when you pee, um, the color changes. The oh, huh? nice I know, it's to foamy. <laughs> it's like a Guinness. Um, frequency <laughs> changes. You might have to pee all the time. You might not have to pee oh, more than twice a day. Um, and the amount that you're peeing changes. Um, you can have swelling because your kidneys can't remove that excess fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, fatigue because your kidneys make EPO, which is a hormone that tells your body to make oxygen-carrying red blood cells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know that. So if your kidneys are damaged... You dove deep into the I kidneys, did. dude. <laughs> um, if your kidneys are damaged, they make less EPO, which means fewer red blood cells to carry oxygen, which means you're, you're tired. Yep. And you're anemic. Um, you get itchy because the buildup of waste under your skin it causes um, severe itching. Um, you can have nausea and vomiting. You can have shortness of breath from that all that extra fluid and the anemia because mm-hmm. you're not making as many red blood cells. Feel cold from the anemia. And you can have a metallic taste in your mouth an ammonia breath, which I was like, oh, no. Jesus Christ, ammonia breath. Because yes. oh. um, built things. Why am I in this job? I don't know. <laughs> I get grossed breath. out by so much. I just, that smell, you know, ammonia. <laughs> and then it's on your breath. And, being like, <sighs> and they like, smell like cat pee. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot. Um, so you get that because built up waste in the blood can make food taste different. And it can cause okay, bad breath, you, obviously. Because you smell like ammonia. Your food tastes yeah. like cat urine. Um, and it's common to stop eating meat because of this. And so we go check all the vegans out there. I know. <laughs> and to lose weight. Um, oh, wait, wait, whoa, we can lose weight with this? I know. Wait a minute. I'm on your breath. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, you can get a kidney transplant before dialysis and complete kidney failure. Or um, you can get a kidney transplant after you start dialysis. So this... They want to get you the kidney transplant as soon as possible to, to realizing wait. you're in end right. stage renal. Before it completely shuts down, your body's healthier, you're healthier. Mm-hmm. It's better for you if you get the kidney earlier than later. Um, kidney transplants are relatively safe and very successful. The success depends on how healthy you are beforehand. That's why they want to get it to you early. Um, how well you take care of yourself after. Well, and The how- dialysis takes a toll on you. Right. And if your kidneys are shut down, I mean, even though you have a dialysis, you still, your body isn't in right. the best shape. So, um, and how closely you follow your doctor's orders. Um, patients who get a kidney from a living donor live longer than patients who get a kidney from a deceased donor. Interesting. Yep. On average, living kidney donor transplants last 15 to 20 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. That's a long time. I'm not giving anybody my kidneys, so I'm not asking. <laughs> um, deceased kidney donor transplants last um, 10 to 15 years. It's still long. It's still a long time. Still a long time. Um, and I think it's getting longer with medications and procedures. I think they're getting those a little longer. Yeah, I think it's... The outcomes are just getting better and right. better. And the more we... I mean, they just do so many now, it's commonplace really mm-hmm. um so then i went into the pancreas oh i have yet to see one of those we've done a couple but i haven't seen you haven't done i've done no. a couple um i think i shy away every time i can oh what? <laughs> i have to go to the bathroom oh wait a minute i think i feel ill um, i have corona i have to go home oh god please you'll be quarantined again <laughs> well another two weeks off oh i might be sneezing that might be pushing it i might be sneezing on tuesday 
Um, so pancreas transplants are mainly done for people with type 1 diabetes. The goal is to restore normal blood glucose levels because your pancreas. So type 1 versus type 2. Type 1, you're born with it. It's a genetic. It's a genetic yep. disorder. Type 2 diabetes is something you develop later in life. Mm-hmm. So they're different. Type 1 is more severe. Type 1 can be controlled a little. I mean, type 2 can be controlled a little bit better. Well, type 2, I mean, sometimes you can control it, which is diet and exercise. Right. Then you go to the pills. Then right. you go to the insulin if you have to. Type 1, they always need insulin. They're not right. making. If they're making any, making it's it from, not enough. Right. You weren't making it from day one. Um. So the new pancreas will be able to make insulin, whereas the olds could no longer make it or never made it to begin with. More than 32,000 pancreas transplants have been done in the U.S. between 1988 and 2018. So it's not as common right. as a kidney or a liver or whatever, but they're getting to be more. Um, the first one was in 1966, like you said. Um, and sometimes I've actually only seen them with a kidney transplant. It says sometimes yes, they're done with a yeah. kidney transplant. I feel like we almost always... When I see a pancreas, we're also doing a kidney on them because they're a diabetic. Do they do it with the livers too, though? I haven't seen them do a pancreas liver. I mean, okay. I'm sure they could, but I feel like it's more because you're a diabetic, so you're having that yes. kidney problem from the diabetes, right. and then you're getting the pancreas to control the sugars. Um, liver transplants. I got let, me, this. let me just go back to pancreas for a yeah. second because people, I don't, they think it's a big joke when you're like, oh, my pancreas have been drinking. If you're really drinking enough, you're going to turn your pancreas to soup. Like, do you remember doing those necrotic pancreases? Oh. They were always these raging alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And the pancreas is a funny little organ to begin with, but when you're a raging alcoholic, you've turned it to soup. Yeah. And they literally would scoop it out. It's so. And you're sick. You're sick. And so it's not a joke when you're like, oh, be careful. You really do have to take care of your pancreas because yeah. if you lose your pancreas, you're in a lot of problems. Yeah. You know, it's not one of those up. organs that you're like, oh, it's my appendix. No, so you, lay it you up need it. Person. You need your pancreas. Yeah. So take care of it. Yeah. That's going to lead us into liver. Yeah. Take care of that one too. You can't really, really live without that one either. Um, so I got the liver information from mayoclinic.org. Um, the liver is the largest internal organ. And it's gigantic. It's huge. It it's, takes up your whole you know, upper it's abdomen. It's all under your diaphragm. It's, yep. it's big. It's big. Um, it's thick. It's huge. It's, it's, it's smooth. It's smooth. It has the it's lobes. <laughs> it's, I love the it's a pretty it pink, purplish color. When it's a healthy liver, the liver is so smooth. The crisp and edge shiny. to it. It has that little edge. Like it looks great. And you get the nice ball bladder, bladder underneath. Oh. Nice little ball. Oh, your honors. It's good to describe it. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It is so nice. It's yeah. so smooth looking. And, and then when it's you bad, take out the disease. Oh, oh my God. You're they're like, black. They're bulbous. Bulbous. There's boils on it. It's. Nasty. Disgusting. It's shrunken up, yep, like shrunken half up. the size. Yep. They're, they're nasty. nasty looking. And the patients come down. Oh, they're sick as anything. Like, you have never seen yellow on somebody? It's like that. It's so like you've drink. seen... <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Looks, it's like my urine. Um, <laughs> you've never seen yellow on a person like you've seen with somebody end-stage liver disease. Like, oh, like their bad. eyes are yellow. Their skin's this bizarre no. color. <laughs> you say jaundice. You've never seen you've jaundice You've never seen like like jaundice that. like this. No. And they are sick. Yes, very it's sick. Flaky and yeah. itchy and bleh. Yeah, they're very, very sick. Yeah. Liver disease is not the way I want to go. It's not. Fun. As I have a drink. Cheers. I know. <laughs> um, so the liver processes nutrients, meds, and hormones. It produces bile, which bile helps you absorb fats, cholesterol, and vitamins from um, what you eat. It makes blood clotting proteins. It removes bacteria and toxins from the blood. So it's another filter, like your kidneys. It's a big filter. It's a you big need, sponge. You need to filter all your stuff that's yeah. going into your body. Um, so you got to be careful of what you put into your body. Yeah. It prevents infection and regulates immune responses. Very, It's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, liver transplants are for people with serious complications from end-stage chronic liver disease. 
or people that have sudden liver failure or liver cancer. Mm -hmm. Chronic liver failure takes place slowly over months and years. Um, Most common cause is cirrhosis, which is scarring of the liver. Um, it gets all, like we said, it was, it's smooth and pink. And when you get cirrhosis, it gets shrunken and tight and hard. It's ugly. Yeah. Um, so the scar tissue replaces healthy tissue and causes the liver to not function properly Mm because now it's all shriveled up and hard and boiled and yep. Um, major causes of cirrhosis are hep B and C. So get your shots, shots. um, alcoholic liver disease non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is when fat builds up in the liver, causing inflammation and cellular damage. Was that from that NASH we talked about? Yes, that's NASH. And um, the bulimia. Yeah. Anorexia. No, was it bulimia? No, no it, was it was not. gastric bypass. Yep. Um, um, another cause is genetic diseases like hemochromatosis, which is what I have. Oh, Mar, uh-huh. you're a superstar. <laughs> um, hemochromatosis causes excess iron to build up. All right, um, if I have to. Yeah. I might give you a lobe. Just a lobe. Just a lobe. not a lot. I it will right, grow back. I have a crisp edge. I'll give Are you, you O positive? I'm O positive. <laughs> Bingo! Done! Let's get it done. We'll Thank you. Mike can't <laughs> give it to me. Mike's A. I'll take care of you. All right. Um, Just remember that. Thank you. I'll have I have you back. All right. Um, so with hemochromatosis, it, it's an excess of iron and it builds up and it can, it can like builds up really anyway your liver your heart Mm -hmm. your brain wherever but it can um kill your liver (laughs) um and wilson's disease which causes excessive copper to build up so both of these cause excessive metals to build up i'm like a big penny (laughs) i don't have wilson's i I have enough very conductive (laughs) um diseases of the bile duct um is also a cause of um cirrhosis and some of those diseases are biliary cirrhosis, primary sclerosing cholangitis, and biliary atresia. That's and a big one. Yeah. Biliary atresia is the most common reason for liver transplant in kids. Yes. That's a yes. big thing in kids. What um, is that? Like the bile, bile duct is too small? To too, yeah. I don't think anything can go through It's atresia. It's atresia. <laughs> you can have um, a living donor for a liver transplant. Mm-hmm. Because the liver regenerates, like we've been saying. In 2017... It regenerates, but it doesn't fix alcoholism. Let's just clear this up. No, okay? it can't. So it can't. If it, you take a pot of a healthy liver, it'll grow new. But if you've fucked it up from drinking too much vodka, it's not fixing that. No. It's not, so no, we need to clarify what regeneration means. Yeah. yeah, it's not like you can drink and then... And then it's going to fix itself fix, yeah. every time. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, in 2017, 8,000 liver transplants were done in the U.S. 360 of those were living donors, and 11,500 people were still on the waiting list after those 8,000 transplants. The waiting list is hot, is ridiculous. They just passed a new law. I don't know the specifics. Don't get into, but it's now we can go out really far to get yes. the livers where we used to have to stay in like a smaller area so I now one of the doctors was explaining it it passed like february 4th yeah it's brand new we have like a 500 mile radius now because mm-hmm. down in the southern regions they have more organs and less patients yes. and we have more patients and less organs and that got passed which is the laws is now to ship them father right we can take the yep. livers from further away to give to our with patients. the technology that's coming out you can ship the it used to be like the liver you know quick 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 yeah, like six have, hours or something yeah they've got like pumps and stuff and they put them on pumps to see if they work before they put them in a patient yep. like and they put them on pumps and they're pumping blood through yep. and, and it's crazy fluids and this bile and yeah. it's it's crazy um so that's about it with livers it's huge it's a big case 
It's a big case. It's a big case. It's a bloody case. Like we said, the liver helps produce um, things that clot your blood. So your liver shot. And these patients so you're not can come down super sick. Mm-hmm. So because it affects their clotting, they bleed mm-hmm. like stinks. So mm-hmm. you can really be in a shitstorm with one of these patients mm-hmm. the moment you open them up. Yep. You know, and they don't always end awesome. But they get out of the OR. You know? Yeah, they, I think. It's a big case. It's a big risk, but it's a big case. It's worth If you need it, you need you it. Need it or you need it. It's worth it. Yeah. yeah. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, I mean, they're big yeah. cases. They're dangerous cases, but you, you, you need a liver. There's no other option. So there's no option. you're going to die. Yeah. Um, then there's lung transplants. Oh, I got lungs. this information from Mayo Clinic and U of M Health. The most common causes for lung damage in need for a lung transplant are COPD, pulmonary fibrosis, which is scarring of the lungs, mm-hmm. um, pulmonary hypertension, which is high pressure in the lungs, and cystic fibrosis. Um, and cystic fibrosis is a genetic disorder, mm-hmm. and you always you can either do a single lung transplant or a double lung transplant. If you have cystic fibrosis, you always have to have the double. Because you have this bacteria in your lungs. And if you only put one in, that bacteria will get into the new lung and, and cause it there. Um, so, like I said, you can get a single lung or a double lung. We used to do single lungs all the time. Do you remember? I do. What, I'm, I don't, you know what? I'm still thinking about what you just said with the bacteria. And I'm wondering why Why couldn't they take out both lungs and only put one in? If the bacteria is gone, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm but sorry. either way, I'm I don't know. Slow, so I'm like reprocessing uh, what you said yeah. five minutes ago. Okay. I don't know, but they always give them a double. I feel like we used to do singles a lot. No, we always do doubles. We always do doubles. Oh, I haven't done a single in a long time. 12 years. No. I don't know, a very long time. Um, so we always, we get them as a set. Um, factors that affect your eligibility for lung transplants um, is if you have an active infection. Really, this is for any transplant. Right. Um, our recent medical medical history of cancer. The only transplant I feel we do for cancer is liver. Right. And that's if it hasn't spread. Um, if you have serious diseases such as kidney, liver, or heart disease, you might not be a candidate. Um, if you're unwilling or unable to make serious lifestyle changes, like no smoking, stay with your meds. I think, again, that's also with any transplant. Right. Any, I mean, that's if a liver transplant from alcoholism and you're not going to stop drinking, right. we're going to have a big problem. You're not going to, yeah. Um, and if you don't have a, a good support network, mm-hmm. you need a lot of help after with these. Um but usually these people have needed a lot of help before, too, right. especially right. lung transplants. Um, about 2,000 lung transplants per year are done in the U.S. The, the five-year survival rate is between 50 and 60%. And that's it's lower than the other organs because the lungs are so fragile. And we do less of them for the same reason. Right. Lung. It's very hard to find a good set of lungs that you can transplant. Right. If you and die of a... We get a lot of organs from drug overdose, but a lot of times with drug overdose, you... Um, they were smokers of the hand. Fi- you... Um, aspirate. Aspirate. So you have vomit in your lungs. We can't transplant that. Right. You know, like, there's a lot of things there's that will damage your lungs. lungs. Exactly. So they're one of the most hard things to transplant because they just don't have enough candidates that are transplantable. Yeah. And even though we get them as a set, we always, I'm sure some people just put them in as a set. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, we always break them apart and put them in one at a time. Um, they come in a little box. It's, they it's, and exhale. It's kind yeah, of cool. It's, it's, and it's not, I think you would think it would be a lot more. It's really not. It's no. pretty quick. Once they get, get the lung. It's getting them. It's about 30 minutes on each side. And that's <laughs> it. Like, it's not very long. It's the getting the old ones out. Yeah. And, um, and then there's heart transplants. 
I got this from mayoclinic.org and uptodate.com. Um, heart transplants are done for heart failure, um, the leading causes of which are cardiomyopathy, which is a weakening of a heart muscle, um, coronary artery disease, which is the little vessels off your heart are bad. The plumbing ain't working. Yep. Um, heart valve disease, congenital heart defects, so you're born with a defect in your heart. Um, ventricular arrhythmias that are uncontrolled, so your ventricles don't beat at the right pace, mm-hmm. um, so you can't get the blood out. Um, and a failure of a previous heart transplant. And these patients also come down super sick. They're on LVADs, yes. which are machines that help your heart pump or... Other kind of balloons. They're on all kinds of heart assistance. Your heart is not pumping yeah, they, anymore they by are, yourself. They're knocking on the door. Yeah. Um, so I talk about VADs. So VADs are ventricular assistive devices. So the ventricles are the, the you have two ventricles. They're the two I mean, bottom parts of your house. One of the episodes, I can't remember. I go through the whole heart. Yes, you did. And I had a stroke trying to do it. I, I know. Remember, what episode was that? What was that? And I had to go through the whole heart, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, was it the um, Blue Babies? Oh, it's like the Blaylock episode. So it's the it's the Black History Month episode, if you want to hear the uh, anatomy of the heart. So the ventricles are the two bottom parts. Mm -hmm. You have our left and our right. Um, So this is a mechanical pump, and it's implanted into your chest, and it pumps the blood from your ventricles to your body or up to your lung, whichever ventricle is failing. Mm -hmm. It does that job. Um, They used to keep people afloat until they can get a transplant. Or for long-term use in patients who are not eligible for Mm -hmm. transplants, because some people just are not eligible for a transplant, so you're going to... Just be on the bad until, until you, you're done. Yeah. Um, there's about 2,000 heart transplants perform, performed per year in the U.S. Um, and only about 3,500 per year worldwide. So we do That's not a lot. We do more than half, though, in the U.S. alone. Um, 85 to 90% survival rate after one year. Um, with the annual death rate around of around 4% every year after that. So every year after that the death rate goes up 4%. The three-year survival rate is around 75%. Um, in the first year, the most common cause of death is acute rejection or infection. After five years, the most common cause of death is allograft vasculopathy, which is um, rapidly progressing coronary artery, artery disease in the arteries of the transplanted heart. That's like after five years out. So that's just saying in the beginning, you're either the, the high death rates are because of just acute reject. Your body's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't like this. Um, or you get an infection, which is infections are bad. They, this is, I think, the biggest thing that faces these people is infection yeah. or rejection. Rejection, and then after five years, it's just the heart itself. For whatever reason, after it's transplant, it can get this rapid, rapid coronary artery disease, and it kills them. That's weird. Yeah, I never heard of it. Um, it's allograft vasculopathy. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it just clots or just full of new information. I know. Today, I know. You, when you dove deep, I tried. And try to leave it as simple as I could. It's hard. There's, it, there's it is so, so much. I would. I was like, oh, we'll do that. And I tried to tackle it. And I'm like, oh my god, how do we not dumb it down? But how do we make it basic enough so we don't bore the bejesus out of you? And but you give understand you enough. What we're trying not to what we're trying to say here and why it needs to be done and give you a good background on it. But yeah. it was a lot of info. There's a ton. There's a ton of info out there. So now I'm doing intestinal transplant. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. You can have an intestinal transplant from a living donor, which is way less common, and it's only a segment mm-hmm. of the intestine, obviously, because you still need your intestine. And you can have it from a deceased do- donor, which you can get the whole organ from. And it's usually done with a liver transplant. And that's what I was going to say to you when you said I've never done a liver uh, yeah. 
intestinal transplant, I have seen them do the duodenum. Okay. From with the liver. Can you say duodenum. <laughs> do you know even know what duodenum is? <laughs> um, episode one. Um, so the intestine, <laughs> in case no one knows, is um, the lower part of the digestive tract. Ex- extends from the stomach to the anus. The upper part is the small intestine, which is like narrow. It's very intricate. It does a lot of stuff. Looks like snakes. Yep. It further digests food. It absorbs nutrients. It's important. You need it to have your um, bowel movements <laughs> and just your nutritional That's value from your food. A lot of your absorption of nutrients and vitamins right. and everything are going through the small important. intestine. Also, that goes back to the gastric bypass episode, if you want. Yes, it is. Um, and the lower part is the large intestine, which is like this just big wide tube. Oh, shoot. It reabsorbs water and it sends it back to the bloodstream. But other than that, it really just, it takes the water out to make it solid. Solid stool. Nice, solid formed. Mm -hmm. Um, Intestinal failure um, is most commonly caused by short gut syndrome, which you can get um, after massive resection of your bowel, Mm -hmm. which is easy. Which usually occurs because you've had Crohn's disease or ulcerative, ulcerative colitis. Thank I was you. like that the other night. I was trying to say a word. I must have said it 15 times. Finally, the kids had to correct me. I was like, oh, just forget it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, so you have these terrible intestinal diseases mm-hmm. that are awful and they- Crohn's is bad. Change your Crohn's whole lives. Colitis is bad too, but Crohn's yeah. is bad. And they sometimes they have to take out a ton of your bowel because it's all ha- it disease. has it all through it. Um, and if you do, you can get this short gut syndrome, which means that there's not enough left to do what it needs to do. Um, you can get short gut syndrome from surgery um, if you've had a mesenteric vascular thrombosis, which means the mesenteric vessels that go to your bowel that supply them with um, blood, mm-hmm. keep them alive. It's had a thrombus or it ha- it's Clotted. had a clot. Clotted off. So now there's there's no been blood no blood supply to your bowel. Sometimes we can fix it. Sometimes it's been too long and too late, and it's dead, and we and have to know, take a lot out. One of the people asked me, what's the grossest thing in the OR? I will tell you the smell of dead bowel. It's bad. It's one of the You nastiest. know it immediately. Like, it's one, it's one of the nastiest things in the world mm-hmm. is the smell of dead bowel. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I'm well acquainted with it. You Literally, you'll walk in the room and be like, oh, there's dead bowel. Like, and then you leave, and you feel like you're covered in that smell. And you feel like you're eating, eating it. it. Yeah. You feel like you're bathing in it. Yeah. You feel like you go home, and everybody's like, ooh, dead bowel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a smell. It's a you know what you literally oh, yeah. the second they open you're like you yeah, know, that's, that's dead bad. that's dead yep. bowel. You don't even have to see it. You can and smell it. It becomes blue like the funniest blue, blue I've ever yeah, seen like, in dead. my life. Yep, you it's, know it's you know it's dead. Yeah, yep. um, a volvulus can cause this. So the volvulus like if it folds back it's on itself, like twisted. Kind of. Yep. Um, recurrent intestinal obstruction. So if you keep getting obstructed, obstructed, you have to take out more and more and more, mm-hmm. and then you don't have enough gut. Um, tumors, abdominal trauma, which can just, you know, if you get, if you're in a car accident, the steering wheel goes into your belly, it causes... It'll clot. Uh, you can rip a mesenteric artery, no right. blood flow. Anything that's going to reduce blood flow to that... is going to cause it to die, and then we have to take out and everything that's dead. It you can't leave quick. it in if yeah. it's not, if it's dead. And then you can have radiation enteritis um, from being radiated too much. Um, also, dysmobility, dysmotility disorders, um, malabsorption, and congenital congenital disease can all lead to intestinal failure. Um, usually these patients, so when you have intestinal failure, you can't absorb your nutrients anymore, right? right? So you can't eat. So these patients receive TPN, which is um, total parental nutrition. 
It's a white bag of fluid. It's a big, huge bag of IV fluid. It has all the nutrition Mm -hmm. that you need in it. It's all mixed up for you in the pharmacy. And it goes in through an IV or a central line or whatever um, to give you all your nutritional needs. Um, But sometimes you can get compliments. Usually TPN's fine. They can, it's fine. They can live on it. There's a lot of people on it. Lots of people on TPN. But sometimes there are complications that arise. Which can be infection, usually from like the port site, mm-hmm. if you have a port implanted or the IV site or whatever. Um, liver problems, it's just, you're not, it's not agreeing with you. Um, severe dehydration or venous access complications, which again would be the IV or the port or whatever, however they're accessing your um, veins to give you the TPN has a complication. If that happens, you cannot get nutrients. Um, so, that is when you might need an intestinal transplant. If okay. something goes wrong with your TPN, they can right. give you the intestinal transplant. Um, and the first intestinal transplant was done in the 1980s. God bless. Mm-hmm. The 80s were such a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? I Intestines, Michael J. Fox, Michael J. Pretty bon Jovi. Tony <laughs> <laughs> um, Depp came out, oh. 21 Jump Street, my favorite. I had his poster on my wall. Of course you did. Kissed it every day. Um, yeah, so that's huge. Intestinal transplants are pretty rare. Yeah. You, I, like I said, I haven't seen one. Yet. No, I, I've only seen a piece of a duodenum with a liver transplant. Um, so now it's face transplants. Oh, those um, disturb me in such a way. Yeah. I can't. I, I mean, what a gift. Unbelievable. What a gift. Life change. Life but changing. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. So I got this information. It's not a lot, just a little, um, on from Mayo Clinic. So face transplants are done to try to improve the quality of life for a person badly disfigured by facial trauma, burns, disease, or birth defects. These people have, they don't do it lightly. The chimp lady. Yes. Remember the chimp lady yes. who got her face eaten off by a chimp? She had yeah. a face transplant. Um, like these are serious. They can't go outside. Like right. you can't walk around. They're so disfigured. They're yeah. horrifying. Um, it's intended to enhance both appearance and function, though, because mm-hmm. you need you need your people don't realize. You I know it sounds face. stupid. No, but you, you need, need your face, like you need to your swallow, nose, you need your mouth, <laughs> chew, talk, yeah. breathe. Like it's it's to it's so it's for both. It's so you can go out, be you don't have to wear a scarf over your right. face, and for function. Mm-hmm. Um, the first partial because you can do partial or full. The first partial face transplant was done in France in two thousand and five. And the full face transplant was done in 2010 in Spain. 40 transplants have been done around the world since 2005. It's a very... I think the only reason there aren't more is the donors. People don't, it don't give the whole face. a face. Yeah. And, and you have to have... It sounds stupid. You have to have the skin match. You have to yes. have... Or relatively match. You can't... I mean, half it. your face isn't going to be, you know, mm-hmm. completely different than the rest of your well, face. Well, it's bone structure. If your bone structure bone sh- is too big, yep. and you're going to put that face on a small, tiny... Yeah. Yep. So it's, ve- it's very difficult to match. People don't donate. It's not like giving you a kidney or mm-hmm. something. So it's it's hard. But the, it's completely life-changing. These people have function. They yep. can go out. They look better. Um, and there's also hand transplants. Um, so hand transplants are also done to improve the quality of life and give some function and sensation back. Um, these people have usually had severe trauma to one or both hands, like burns, mm-hmm. electrocution, in- accidents, injuries. They've lost their arms or hands. Um, there's a lifelong commitment, though, to the treatment. You have to have physical therapy. It's like oh, yeah. big physical therapy. 
Um, you have to take immunosuppressants for the rest of your life. So I, I think, I think, um, there was not, I don't mean complaints cause that's not the word I'm looking for. I think when some people got these hand transplants, they didn't realize that it's, it it's a body part. So it's like, I think a liver transplant, you know, okay, I'm going to be on immunosuppressants right. cause my, I can't reject it. My body has to, I have to be immunocompromised. So my body doesn't reject this organ. I don't think people realize like with a hand, you still have to be, it's still not your body. Right. You still have to be on immunosuppressants. That is a lifetime thing. thing. You can't come off of these things. We've had a no. kid with a liver transplant who decided to stop taking them. And he rejected his liver yeah. within months. Yeah. You and then have had to get another to one. Take them. Your body is going to say, yeah. this is far and I'm going to attack it and right. it's going to be gone. So it's and a, that's never going to change. Right. It's never going to get used to it being there. Right. So you're with hands, obviously it makes a world of difference. If you can have a hand instead of a, um, stump or an artificial or a hook. Um, but I, but also you have to weigh out like, okay, should I use the, um, prosthetic or do I go for the hand transplant and be on this, be on this for the rest of my life? And the physical therapy is intense, like for, like for a very long time. People have their own hand transplanted Mm -hmm. back on, you know, cut them on at an injury. I don't think they're aware of the amount of recovery that's involved yes, with that it's intense a lifelong mm-hmm. uncomfortableness or pain that they I'm, have with these because i don't think i don't think you, you can even exp- like every tendon every nerve yep. every, every bone vessel. every yep. vessel they're all rebuilt so it's it's a lot um matching hand donors they have to have blood the blood and tissue type have to match the color has to match has to be comparable ages um, I would get like the 90 year old like claws. Yeah, they, and they're not going to do that. They're yeah. not going to give it to you. So um, it has to be the same sex. Um, oh my God. Meant to get man hands. Just one. <laughs> now I'm a Seinfeld episode. Yep. I have the same hand size. Just one. Well, you know what? It, like you can't. Let me get that off your face. Yeah. 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 The, the same hand size. We have some women. If you ever transplanted their hand on me, I don't have huge hands, Did but I have doll hands. long hands. If you transplanted, you know, the surgeon that wears the five. Yeah. If you put her size five on with my size seven, it would be like insane. Little doll hands. Yeah. And the muscle builds. Because it's also, it's not just your hand. It goes up to like your um, forearm. Um, 85 85 hand transplants have been done worldwide. The longest surviving hand arm transplant is, happens to be the first U.S. recipient. And it's been, um, they've had this transplant for 11 years. Fewer than 10 have had to be removed. Um, and the first hand, hand transplant was done in France in 1998. France is on the cutting edge. I know. Edge, I didn't apparently. know that. Those and that's, that's pretty much all the transplants you can get. Okay. So what I'm going to go through is the actual donation process. Mm-hmm. Um, I get my information through organdonor.gov. In the process of organ donation, I think is where people say, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope, nope. They have misinformation. Mm-hmm. They have myths. They think that we're going to let them die because, they're, oh, they look like they'd be a good liver. So I'm hoping that um, going through this will dispel some of those um, myths. Yes. So step one to donate is you have to register as a donor. Mm-hmm. Uh, signing up does not automatically mean you will be able to donate. But, you know, if you go to the registry of motor vehicles, you can donate. and It'll be on your license. I think you can call the organ bank and register as a donator. Um, I have gone and just basically told my husband's my next of kin. I've told him you can donate everything but my face. You're not taking. My- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not giving up my face. <laughs> not that I mean, who wouldn't want this I face? Mean, I mean, really, it's gonna like, be a list of my friggin' big demand. But I'm, I'm, you're not giving my face. Um, 
So next, a deceased donor has to expire under specific circumstances. Yes. So illness or accident, usually it's a severe head trauma, mm-hmm. a brain aneurysm, or stroke. Mm-hmm. Overdoses are, on, like, when I first started in the field, you didn't touch people with overdoses, you didn't touch HIV, you didn't touch tattoos. You, now they take everybody. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with the opioid epidemic, it has created an ridiculous amount of donors. Not I mean, a, a fortunate I'm, and unfortunate. Right. It's, it's unfortunate it's the, that there's an epidemic of right. opioid If you have to look at a civil lining of the opioid right. epidemic. But we get a lot of organs. We've been getting a lot of organs. Yeah. Um, so the medical team does everything, exclamation point, underlined, to save your life. Yes. The medical team has not seen your license and knows you're an organ donor. No. The medical team has not... Talk to your family. They don't know you're an organ donor. They don't know what kind of blood type you ought to match up with anybody else. No. That is not their concern. No. I have been as an EMT, never mm-hmm. my concern. As a trauma nurse, never our concern. Mm-mm. Nobody's letting you die nope. to get your organs. And I don't know how to stress that right. enough. No. We are not letting you die we to ha- steal we your have intestines. No. Nobody cares. No We're, idea. When you are, come in as a trauma, a brain in your, mm-hmm. we don't have a clue. We are just all doing our job to save if your I life as best as we can. If I have any complaint, it's that I have seen them go too far to save somebody's life. Where I've seen people where like, you just know they're not coming back mm-hmm. and they are still, I mean, I have watched doctors crying because they couldn't save somebody yes. and they wanted to try one more thing and everybody in the room's like, they are not coming right. back. So if anything, they try too hard. Okay. They, trust no one is Nobody's wondering if you're an organ donor. Not young kids, not no. young. They do everything yeah. in their power to keep you alive. So that is the most important thing. And most of these patients are put on um, mechanical life support when it's, you know, immediately you come in if you have a head injury. 99% of the time you are intubated immediately and you are put on medical life support. Mm-hmm. At this point, the fact of this person as a registered donor is not even a factor. Um, EMTs, paramedics, and ER nurses are not looking at a driver's license. They're not asking family members. I can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. We are not worried whether you're an organ donor. Once um, every step has been taken to save a patient's life, the injuries are assi- assessed, and sometimes they're just too severe to save a patient. Mm-hmm. And some of these patients, you can look at them and think they're fine. They don't look yeah, like they, they I mean, I had one had a little tiny cut in his head. Mm-hmm. We had been hit in the head with a two-by-four. Mm-hmm. You would look at this kid and be like, he's going to wake up tomorrow. And he was brain dead. Like, yeah. He was not coming back. So it's hard to look at some of these. And a lot of them tend to be young people mm-hmm. who have gotten in motorcycle accidents. Or they've had something happen. Mm-hmm. And you look at them and you think they, they're coming. They're going to wake up tomorrow. So it's very hard to realize they are brain dead. Right. Um, it is at this time that doctors will perform a series of tests to determine if the patient is brain dead. I have gone to conferences with the organ bank mm-hmm. and they, it's not like one test and always brain dead. It's multiple, oh. multiple physical, mm-hmm. computerized, all kinds of tests that they finally come up to this patient's brain dead. And brain death is a patient has no brain activity and cannot breathe on his or her own. So because there are machines and the body is being kept alive, mm-hmm. people are lured into a sense of they're still alive. You do not come back from brain death. No. So... The machines are the only thing keeping mm-hmm. these people alive. Um, it is irreversible, and someone who is brain dead will not recover. The machines are the only things keeping them yes. alive. I reiterate as I turn my page. Um, only and only, only, only after brain death is determined can an organ donation be possible. 
So after brain death is determined, the, ho- the hospital will notify the local organ procurement agency, the OPO. So from now on, that's going to be called the OPO okay. because I can't keep yeah, saying organ procurement organization, which means like for New England, it's New England Donor Services. Every region has mm-hmm. their own donor services that will be contacted. Sometimes they're contacted before the patient dies um, to let them know we have a possible candidate for organ um, retrieval. So at this time, the OPO is given information from the hospital about the patient to confirm whether or not they're even a potential donor. If the person is a donor, a representative from the OPO will go to the hospital. If the donor is a registered donor in their state, their state, excuse me, not state, I don't know what state means, um, that is a legal consent for donation. So if it is on your license, it is a legal consent for donation. Mm-hmm. But again, it, no one's looking at that right. until you are right. deemed De- dead. Like, like they think you, they can get your, take your um, gift. Mm-hmm. If not registered and there is no other legal consent, like designated on your driver's license, the legal next of kin will be given, um, will need to give consent. So they will be approached by organ donation services. And some of what is thwarting these services is the nurses will be like, oh, here come the vultures, or they put a very negative connotation to it. And I don't know how to stress enough, this is probably the best gift in the world you could ever give. And I think some families can find peace and comfort and closure in knowing they saved multiple other lives yes. with their tragedy. Yes. So um, after consent is given, a medical evaluation of the patient takes place. Uh, you obtain a uh, the deceased complete medical record and social history from the family. Social history is important. You need to know what these people, like were they involved drug in IV drug abuse? Yeah. Were they promiscuous? You need to know the potential of what they may be carrying. If the deceased is eligible for donation, the organ organization contacts the national organization and they start looking for a match. Each available organ is offered to the transplant team of the best possible match. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can have one patient donating multiple organs, but multiple hospitals have come in for that. Somebody is taking the heart, that may go get a Connecticut. Maine may take the lungs. Mm -hmm. Rhode Island may take the kidneys. I'm just saying New England because that's where we're from. But they can not one person is going to one hospital. Many, you're all over the the region or wherever that they're going to send this stuff to. Uh, The transplant surgeon decides whether or not the organ is suitable. While the match is underway, the donor is kept on life support. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where we start taking in now because the operating room will get a call. You know, we have a potential donor. And we need to start preparing a place of where the um, the gift is going to be taken. So um, at this time, the transplant team will take over for the medical team that had been caring for the patient. So the team serving and saving the patient's life will never be the team that takes the donation. No. That's another key point. No. It's not the same team. So it's not like the liver transplant surgeon's doing your trauma. And he's like, wow, this is a gorgeous right. liver, nice edge to it. We're going to kill this guy, right. you know? Um, the surgical team will bring the patient to the operating room where the donation will take place. Often they come down. The organ bank is unbelievable. The the people that work for the mm-hmm. donation services are amazing. Yes. Professional. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they know everything. Mm-hmm. They help you with everything. Any questions you have, they ask. And they're so respectful yes. of the patient and the families. Often, um, before the patient expires, once they turn off the machines, you will read a statement that either the patient's family wanted read or the patient wanted read. They always remind you about the patient. Mm-hmm. You're never forgetting the person that was mm-hmm. that's there. 
Um, so they take them to the operating room where the donation will take place. The patients will be left intact. And I, I mean, this is morbid, but family's concerned. You are intact for an open casket funeral. Oh, yes. You're never in a way where they couldn't possibly... You would never know organ donation has taken place if you were no. to look at somebody at a wake. Mm-hmm. Um, and because because organs only last so long out of the body, the teams and organs are sent by ambulance, helicopter, and plane to awaiting recipients mm-hmm. quickly. Once the donation is done, usually it's the nurse is left in the room. Yep. And again, very respectful as you prepare this patient for yes. their last journey. Um, I just... I have said I want to donate everything, like I said, but my face. I can't get my face. I just think that, I mean, what am I going to do with it? It's going to turn to yeah. dust. It's the best gift in the world. You're going to some, when I went to this presentation with the donation bank, they did family stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm only telling the story on because it was a public thing. Yeah. And it was a race car driver. He was a young kid. Mm-hmm. And he got in a car accident. And of course, you know, you sit in a room with like, 30, 40 people for this presentation. And the family's talking about what a great guy he was. He was adorable. And he passes and they donate organs. And this father of like three kids gets the heart. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to let the mother of the deceased meet this guy. I'm crying before she even knocks on the door. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And she's got a stethoscope and she's listening and she's bawling her eyes out. I'm bawling my (laughs) eyes out. They're bawling their eyes out. Like, but, and then you hear the stories of the bride who had... The guy who has her father's heart walk yes. her down the aisle. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. But you're saving. I mean, there's so many people out there who need these things. And I do the, I get the, so when we do a, there's different, don't, there's brain death, donors. I didn't know donors, we were going to get well, into the And different. there's death, donation after, after cardiac death. So the donation, the brain death donors come down just with the team, you know, the staff. The brain death comes down. They come into the operating room, still on machines. Yeah. And we start. Once we start. The machines are turned off and the patient passes. Right. After cardiac death, the patient is brought down. They are removed from machines. Once they pass, then the donation happens. Right. That's so the, the difference. The family heart has comes to stop. down. And the brain death donor is already dead. Um, they're brain dead. So they already have their death certificate written out. Like they're right. already done. So the family has already said their goodbyes to them because right. they are right. dead. The person with the donation after cardiac death is still alive they're not brain dead right the machines are keeping them alive but they're not brain dead right so the family comes down with them while they pass and sits with them while they pass in the operating room and there's regulations on how many how long it will take because the organs once because even though some of them may not pass in the allotted time they are actively dying right and so the organs aren't getting what they need so there are time frames and if they don't meet that time frame you're sent back up and they do their thing yeah um, so I usually get the family. I don't yeah. know. So I always get the family for a donation after cardiac death. And I, I honestly, I say I always get them. I really do like I'd that job. That though. Yeah. I do like that job. It's sad. It's awful. You go upstairs. You, I go to the unit. I meet the family. Yep. I go, I meet the, with the organ bank people and they all pretty much know me now. And then I, they introduce me to the family mm-hmm. and I just tell them, I, you know, you have to give them stuff to put on like hats and boots yeah. and outfits and um, you know, I tell them what we're going to do. And then I bring the family downstairs and I sit with, I set up seats oh, and waters and, and Kleenexes and have a whole thing. And if they want music playing, whatever they like, you know, that patient likes. If they likes, asked for a purple clown, we would get whatever. Purple we clown, do everything. Whatever they want. And I have never seen, I mean, I, I see them upset that this person has died. Right. 
I have never seen any of them say, like, we shouldn't be doing this. Right. Blah, blah, blah. They all just say over and over again, they just gave so much. They just gave so yep. much. I'm so glad they could do that. And I'm not just saying that. They literally, all of them, have said that. And thank you for doing this. And this helps so much. And especially, I think, the people who lose on an overdose. Because it's already hard to reconcile in your head this mm-hmm. person passed away from something that we could have avoided or whatever. So the family's able to feel like it wasn't in vain. Right. They didn't die for nothing. Yeah. You know, at least we were able to do this. I think it is a way for many families to cope. And yeah. I I get so mad when I hear somebody say, well, they're just going to let me die. Well, no. What is this, the Middle Ages? Right. Do no. you think we're really going to do that? Like, oh my God. Anyway. And the surgical team isn't near the patient. No. Before they, they don't go near them. They're not allowed in the room with them. They're right. nowhere near them. So they have literally nothing to do with your care. Right. So there's no... So chance of that. just debunk that myth. They're not right near They can't even look at them. Like, they're not near yeah. them. They don't see them. They're they don't see ca- the patient. Yeah. The organ services is the one who calls and says, okay, the liver is at this. The, right. you know, it's functioning at this. They're not contacted this. to this patient's considered right. brain dead. So, I mean, we, it's just such a far-fetched notion. Yeah. And I understand people's fear of it. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But it's not founded in anything. No. Because it does not happen. Right. It does not happen. No. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's our little uh, organ donation presentation mm-hmm. for the month of April. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's fascinating. I have been doing this for a long time. I still am fascinated every procurement. Um, what they're able to do with everything they take. Mm-hmm. I had uh, one surgeon came in. He took somebody's arms. Yeah. That was disturbing. And sent them across the country because they're trying to show that they can keep these vascularized. To give them to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But it was the entire arm. Yeah. And obviously and that's consented for. People will consent to right. give their body for study. research. Yeah. So that is, it's not like right. a thing that just do to you. Yeah, you have they, consented to give to your body to research. We can't do anything no. to you unless you have Everything said it's is okay. specifically <laughs> checked off. Right. Like you could say, I'll give my left kidney, not my right. Okay. And if like people want to know exactly what a OR nurse does, we make sure yeah. they don't do anything to no, you that you fine. didn't say it was okay. Yeah. That's our number one priority yeah. is to make sure they don't touch you in a way you didn't say was just okay to do. Yeah. The whole, I mean, it's all. It is amazing. It, it is. is amazing. They do amazing things with it. And you see these people. I mean, we work with people who've had transplants and they're leading very full productive lives mm-hmm. thanks to somebody's gift. I just, um, I can't say enough. I think it's something everybody should consider. It's only going to become more food when we die. You're either going to burn it up or bury it. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to waste beautiful organs that some little three-year-old could get yeah. a new liver from, mm-hmm. you know, or a new kidney or live a nice, healthy life. So, mm-hmm. All right. That being said, um, I'm going to tack on the end of this. We're getting ready for Mother's Day and Father's Day as well. And you know what that means. (laughs) Things up orifices. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) I mean, clearly Mother's and Father's Day. Clearly that means things up your orifices. So, I think if we're doing Mother's Day, you can imagine what we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. If you have any vaginal stories, send them our way. Please, mm-hmm. we would love to hear them. Um, we're starting to compile some lists. Yeah. Or I mean, birth stories yeah. or weird kid stories. I mean, oh, whatever. Ducks up the vagina. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, that you was can always favorite. send us something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, keep keep yourselves honest through this quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Do what you got to do to keep your mind intact because it's driving me crazy. I don't know why. I am completely fine. I want to go places. I want to go to the mall. I know, I but... I want to do something. I'm like a nut. I can't stay... You know me. I'm, I'm constantly going. Right. All the time. Like, where are we going now? Where are we going now? I, I, I never just sit and I'm like, I'm just sitting. 
I don't know. I have literally broken my back because I think I've walked to the moon and back. Oh my God. I, my back is in agony. Is, yeah. And my chiropractor shut down. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I need to get shit. Yeah. You know? I don't know why. I need I'm a totally reason to fine. put makeup on my face and well, put a bra on. work. I gotta put it on <laughs> I, for work and that's it. I need it. a reason to wear a bra. So, um, so yep. You know, we're, we're gonna get through with this on the other end and maybe we'll have some fun things in the summer. Maybe we'll actually get to a little meet and greet us. We'll see. Oh, that might be fun. All right. Enjoy. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.